Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Meg Seitz. Meg is the founder and CEO of Toth Shop, a communications agency that focuses on a human, holistic approach to branding, marketing, and communications. Since 2014, the Toth Shop team has helped companies, C-suite leaders, and emerging brands articulate their expertise, talent, and value to the world, identify storytelling gold nuggets that resonate with humans, as well as create compelling content and brand-building assets. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, with her fluffy corgi Winnie, who recently passed therapy dog certification. Meg holds a Bachelor of Arts in English from Kenyon College and an MBA from Wake Forest University School of Business. She is a proud double drucker, meaning she placed twice in the top 10, once in third place for the international writing competition, the Peter Drucker Challenge. Meg is also the author of You Are Something New, Life Lessons to Radically Change How You Show Up in Business that was published in November of 2023. For more information, you can visit megsites.com or tothshop.com. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thank you for having me, Kara. I'm excited to be here this morning. I am so excited to have you. I mentioned before we hit record that as I was prepping for this episode, the more I learned about you, I'm like, I cannot wait to talk to her. She sounds so interesting. <laughs> That's such a good word for it. I feel like when I think about my life and my career, uh, it makes sense to me and it's been an adventure. And so I love to talk about it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. I feel like though, you are so much more than this bio. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes. So um, I like to start out with the fact that I grew up all over the country. And I say that because that has informed so much of who I am. And I don't think I realized that until I was an adult. Um, I think by the time I reached ninth grade, we had moved seven or eight times. Yeah. Um, it was all for my dad. My, my dad's job transferred our family all over the country. Okay. Was he military? He was not. He was in sales and marketing. Okay. And interesting story. My parents are originally from Pittsburgh and they grew up with their, their houses backed up to each other, like the backyards backed up to each other. Oh, I love so that. They grew up, they grew up together, but did not start dating until college. Actually there, they were friends, like neighborhood friends, but didn't start dating until college. And one of the things that was important to both of them having grown up in one place their entire lives was that if they had children and if opportunities presented themselves, they were always going to say yes to a move because mm -hmm. they wanted their family, me and my sister Merritt to have an experience that was different than theirs. So as a result of my dad's sales and marketing career, we, he got transferred a lot to different offices and, and regions. And so we moved a lot. And as a kid, you know, when you're in third grade, 
you're like, I hate being the new kid. Yeah. But mm -hmm. as an adult, I've come to appreciate that that really set me up so well for adult friendship and realizing how we make friends, but then also how I approach business too, in the sense that we're always evolving. We're always changing. We've got to mix it up every couple of years. As a kid, I was thrown into that yeah. and moved around. And as an adult, I've come to realize that I really, I appreciate that experience because it gave me a different exposure to different parts of the country, different people, different language, different friends every couple of years. So I think that's become a real hallmark of my life is the fact that we had, my sister and I had that experience growing up. Yeah. And that was, that's probably the biggest, most important thing to know um, about the way I was raised. And I do claim, though, uh, we spent the majority of my time in Plano, Texas, which is a suburb okay. of Dallas. And then Pittsburgh. So we moved to Pittsburgh, which again is where my parents were both originally from. We moved, I say back to Pittsburgh, but for me, it was my first time living there yeah. when I was in ninth grade. So from ninth wow. grade to 12th grade, I had, I was in one place at one time in Pittsburgh has become, it was always a really important part of our family. And sure. it's, it's a part of it's it, it's a big part of the book. It comes up a couple of times in the book, um, okay. but it also just becomes a like a really it's an anchor place in my life. So wow. I love hearing this because yeah. we're a military family. I don't know if I mentioned that in Corey's episode. No. And so, yes, you did. I've yes, always I thought, what will my kids think of this? Because neither my husband and I are from military family. So this is like we're on our own adventure here. And I was thinking about it recently. Last year, as I was doing an episode, my three-year-old has moved four times, has lived in four different places. And I'm like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just not having grown up in that, I think a lot about, well, what will this do for my kids? And the fact that you're putting such a positive spin on it and what it taught you. And I, I feel like it's even taught me that as an adult, right? I mean, I had never been out of the country really until we started moving around until I had gotten to, co to college. And so I'm just so glad to hear you say that because it gives me a little breath of fresh air of like, okay, maybe my kids will be okay <laughs> with all the moving. Oh my gosh. They will be, you're setting them up so well. And I think at the time, you know, when you are in like third grade or ninth grade and you're making these big moves and you don't have any friends and yeah. you're trying to figure out the world at these critical life stage times um at the time I was really craving like I want to live in one house and I want to leave for 12th grade from the same house that I left from kindergarten very like schmaltzy things sure and uh, I was very jealous of of classmates and friends who had who had been in school with somebody for like their entire lives. Like I knew them in kindergarten and I know them in 12th grade. Yeah. But what I've come to realize as an adult is I'm still friends with people I knew in kindergarten. We just live in different places. Yeah. And uh, I think the idea of placemaking at the time was very important. But what I've I've grown to appreciate is the fact that 
you know, it's a really big world and you can still stay connected in different ways. So I think it's going to be a really cool experience for your kids. I think they're going to come away from it as adults and thank both you and your husband for the experience. I think that also to your point of connection, right? I think that our kids are only going to have more and more ways to connect, right? I mean, it just seems inevitable. We're having all these new ways and points of connection and platforms to talk to people on and communicate that they'll have even more of that option than we mm -hmm. had. <laughs> so, Well, and I think we learned this through the pandemic too, that, and I learned this because the first couple of years in business, a lot of my clients were based in Charlotte because I was under the impression that to do business with someone, you had to break bread with them. You had to be able to meet them face to face and come to their office and be in the same space. And then the pandemic happened and we had to do business in a lot of different ways. And what I didn't expect was the fact that we grew. Now I, I deal with a couple of clients in Charlotte, but now the majority of our clients are all over the place. So I started to realize that um, connection was not necessarily being face-to-face, -face, but trying to find opportunities to connect in different ways. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize how flexible I was as a kid to then be flexible in that moment as an adult. Yeah, I could see how that would translate so well. Yeah. It's a good skill. You're setting them up well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It even, again, back to, I think all I've looked at all of these moves as a learning point for myself and I actually started the world as a physical therapist. And here I am podcasting now about books because I just wanted to get creative about something that could move with me as we move mm -hmm. instead of going, transfer my license, starting from the bottom establishing connections in the community to just be up and move again within a year and a half to two years. So I was like, I'm kind of tired of that. So let's see what we can do with making something else that's my own that's transferable. Yes. And the fact that we change all the time. And that's, that's what I talk a lot about in the book. Um, but we change all the time. Like yeah. we have experiences and we're different every day. And we do end up, you know, having to reorient and find a different career or even just fall into something, you know, I'm interested in this. So I'm going to go down this path and see what happens. Like yeah. we're different all the time. And I think where we get into trouble as humans is we think we have to be this one person for the entire experience and whatever that experience is, if it's a, a week, a year, a, a lifetime, like we're different all the time. And I think the more you lean into that, the more uh, it, it will bring peace, but it will also bring this totally new adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point of just being open to that, right? Yes. To this adventure or to be able to go down this other path and see where it might lead you. And I think, like you said, that's where pe people get stuck is the rigidity of not wanting to do that, right? Right. Well, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, you're like, I don't know if it'll work out. Is it you know, is it going to work out? Am I going to be good at it? Am I going to be successful? Whatever it is, it's really uncomfortable. And so I think if you get comfortable with that feeling faster or um, more often, yeah. it won't seem so scary. Yeah. And I don't think that even, you know, for listeners that are maybe listening, like, I'm not going to up and move my life. I don't think you even have to take a big geographical change to do something like no. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that's the misconception is like, you've got to move 
across the world or you have to leave your job or even thinking that the huge anchors of life, whether it's going to graduate school or getting married or changing careers, like it, it can be, they can be really small micro shifts that you make that can give you a different experience. Yeah. Do you talk in the book at all about how people might start to listen to, I'm thinking of these as like nudges, right? Of like, okay, maybe we should try this something different. Does your book talk about that at all? Yes. So what I ended up doing in the book is there are 10 stories uh, from my life because okay. I, to kind of set this up right, I my first professional experience was I worked as a 12th grade English teacher. Okay. And um, so I there's a part of me that will always be a teacher. So for me, each chapter in the book is an example of an experience that I had, whether it was an in-the-moment experience or a big trip, whatever it was, it's an experience that I've had and what I learned from it. Like what what I realized about myself, what I realized about my world, my work. And then each at the end of each chapter, I have a couple of prompts or questions for radical change. And what they are, five or six questions at the end of each chapter that helps somebody, they might, they are, they are nudges for all intents and purposes, just to get somebody thinking about their own world. Because I think I set a couple examples up and and work through stories, but then sometimes people are like, where do I start? And I honestly think the best place to start oftentimes is with a really good question Mm -hmm. that you sit with and you don't have to share your answer with anybody. It can just be a, a personal thing. You can journal, you can think about it, wherever, whatever that looks like for you is just really thinking about questions. And I think that's what I've found. And I think this comes from teaching too, is sometimes we need help figuring out what the question is. So at the end of each chapter, I give a handful of questions just to, to warm up the brain yeah. and uh, get get a reader thinking about what that might be for them. I love that because I'm imagining, right, when I'm when I'm reading, there's books that just stick with you and they're lingering in your head and you walk away from that book and maybe you go, you know, you're off living your life, driving to work, doing the dishes, cooking dinner, whatever it is you're doing, but you can ponder over these little questions. I shouldn't even say little. I shouldn't even mark them as that because they are big questions. They're big questions, but they're, I, I use the word snackable a lot. Like they're big questions, <laughs> but they're also snackable too. Like it's okay. nothing like, what is the meaning of life? Sure. It's more sure. like, what's an example of this in your own world? Just to get people thinking, just to, I just want to rub the engine and warm people up to maybe not landing on the exact answer, but at least putting the pieces together to start thinking about how they've seen change in their lives what it's looked like, maybe what it what what's missing too, or what they haven't experienced. So they they are little nudges, very snackable, doable questions. I love that. So did you have a hard time choosing or like narrowing down the experiences you wanted to include in your book to tell the story? Yes. So I when I started the project, I had this vision for like lots of chapters, lots of um lots of lessons. And the more I started to think about it, I kept coming back to the idea of 
what, like, what are the most important experiences? What have been my favorite experiences over the last 20 work, you know, 20 years I've worked, 40 years I've, I've lived. And I really pulled out 10 stories. I, I could have a lot more, but I pulled out 10 stories, which I think are all good examples of some of my core values. So each chapter ends up being something that every, obviously every chapter has a title, but if you look at each of the titles, they're also a core value for me and the way I've lived the last, um, I say 20 years of working life because there is such a connection in the book about personal work and professional work and how, how each of those stories has shaped now the way I operate, which I think are core values. And, and I talk a lot about core values with our clients. And so I think it really came down to, okay, what are the 10 that are most important? Like there could be 25 chapters in this book. There are lots of lessons I've figured out, but I feel like what are the top 10? And that's really how, how I narrowed it down. To stick with your snackable theme, I'm thinking of what is digestible, right? Like you don't want to get yeah. into the weeds with the reader. Like you really want to get your point across. And so, but I imagine choosing from all of your life experiences to narrow it down to be like, what are the most important that I want to tell? I imagine that's a really hard task. It is hard. And I think one of the things I was approaching the project, the book project as both reader and writer, because I am not, I'm not a long form writer. I like very short form writing as both reader and writer. So for me, I was thinking, what's a book? How do we create a book that's easy to slip into um, an overnight bag, an airplane bag? Like what can somebody read from Charlotte to Dallas on a plane? Um, what can you read in a weekend? Because there are so many times that we have these great ambitions of reading this like really thick book and we get a fourth of the way in and it's just, it ends up being this like, I haven't finished that book. Um, and it sits on your nightstand for months. For years. Book. <laughs> oh my gosh. There are a couple of books in my life that I've started and I'm like, I will finish that one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted a reader to feel a sense of accomplishment that I read this start to finish and that it was manageable. And so I think that was one of the things that was important to me was creating a book that, that felt digestible and didn't feel scary and overwhelming and like, You've got to really dig into the depth of, you know, your childhood to think less about lessons. Yeah. But here are 10 lessons from my life. Take them, use them, and hopefully start to think about lessons for your own life. Yeah. I love that. So what did you learn about yourself then through the writing process? Oh, my gosh. Um, I learned so much. I, um, the biggest lesson that I learned, um, so I, I will say I've been writing, I, I was like a kid writer. I've been writing my entire life. I was the kid that would like write stories or my sister and I would write shows and perform them. Like I I was always, that just became my medium from a really young age that I liked to write. And so when it came to actually 
sitting down to write the first book, which is something that I've talked about forever, I didn't know where to start. And I think the first lesson that I learned here is that as much as you think writing happens in a silo, it doesn't. (laughs) And I think we tell this story about writing and writers that like, uh, you go to a cabin in the woods and you sit down for like six weeks by yourself and you write this book. And that might be the case for some writers. But what I found is that I needed it to be more of a team sport than I realized. Okay. And that was probably one of the biggest lessons because um, you and I are connected through Corey Walmsley, who was my editor, one of my editors and my publisher. And I really came to appreciate how much I needed Corey through that process to help not only with the writing and keeping the chapters going and keeping me going, but in that sense, also as like accountability, like she ended up serving as an accountability partner, which is, I think, one of the things that that, uh, I did not really appreciate initially um, was that how much, how much writing is a team sport. It's, it's my voice a hundred percent. But I think what we need is we need coaches and we need a team behind us. It's not a solo sport. Um, and so I think that was one of the things I learned because that lesson has also now applied to work. Okay. I didn't realize how much I needed and wanted a team behind me. Um, I operated my business as a solopreneur for the business has been in been in existence for nine years and I operated as a solopreneur for the first half of it and then started building a team the second half and I've really come to realize that the second half of this business life has been so much more fun and productive and valuable because of the team and I think that's been a really big life lesson for me in writing the book was that there are a lot of things that we do that are team sports more than we realize. Yeah. So say there's someone listening out there that is thinking, okay, yeah, I feel like I have a story to tell or I'm ready to tell it. Do you have any advice you'd give them to get started to maybe find, seek out these coaches or someone like Corey, or how did you even start that process? Um, this is a great story. I, so I have, like I said, I've been writing forever. I've been thinking about a book for probably 20 years. It's been one of those things. It's like, I should write a book. I should write a book. And people have been, uh, people have been dropping that in my ear for years. And I, last year, again, to my point about teamwork, last year, I hired an executive assistant team because I realized I have been operating for a long time thinking I can do everything. I think that's probably common. And somebody had said to me, actually a mentor um, had said to me, I think you should really think about hiring an executive assistant team just to help you take care of some of the stuff that you don't want to do. Things like scheduling, calendar management, um, invoice support, you know, some of these tasks that I was like, I'm not best in the world at those. I need to bring in somebody. So I hired a team and I have two people who, um, two women who work uh, support our team from an executive assistant administrative level. One of them, Deanne, 
I was, I had a call with her and Deanne and Escher, who is our other assistant, um, manage my blog and making sure that my blog is updated regularly. I write sure. the content sure. okay, and they upload it to the website. <laughs> One of those things, which like left to my own devices, I wouldn't do because I'm not an operations person. <laughs> I feel this <laughs> so much. <laughs> Our Toss Jobs Director of Operations, Crawford, um, her name is Crawford. She knows that like I'm like I, I would never do that. So they were they were uploading blogs to the website and Deanne says to me, I really like your blogs. I think you should write a book. I know someone I want to connect you to. Okay. And she connected me to a woman named Kelly. Kelly published a book with Corey. Okay. So Kelly connected me to Corey. So okay. I think um, what I would say is if somebody is thinking about writing a book, I would maybe tell someone. And I know that. <laughs> which is scary. <laughs> which is scary. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes the initial advice might be like, wake up every morning, start writing, which is great advice. I think. If you, and and I would absolutely support that, just warming your own brain up to the process of writing. But I would also maybe think about telling somebody who might be able to connect you with the right people. Yeah. And um, I would also say, if, if you're willing to do that, follow through on it. Because Deanne introduced me to Kelly and I very well could have just dropped it. Sure. But there was something inside of me that was like, you have been, you have been talking about this for a while, maybe follow the thread a little bit, like talk to Kelly, see what happens. So I ended up talking to Kelly who, um, kind of heard the, you know, heard my story and heard what I was thinking about doing. And she connected me to Corey again. She didn't have to do that. And then I didn't have to follow up with Corey either. So I feel like, just keeping it moving, like making these micro moves to keep it moving is actually really helpful. So I would say tell somebody, but also be willing to follow the thread and just keep keep putting one foot in front of the other and just see where it takes you. Because I did not expect to be on this side of it now, probably a year later, honestly. I think Deanne okay. probably told me a year ago and talking to Kelly, talking to Corey. Um, I mean, that's the other thing too, I would say is like, it's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to put it together in six months, but maybe a year. Um, and so I think if you keep following the threads, follow the thread, I think um, it'll be interesting what you learn either about the process or about yourself through that. Cause uh, I was surprised there was a part of me that kind of was looking at it and was like, I'm kind of surprised I kept going with that. But I think there was something inside that I've been talking about this or thinking about it for a long time that I really wanted. I was ready. That's the other thing too. Somebody asked me that they were like, how did you know? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think I knew I was ready. I will also say that last, last year, which is when the book came out, I turned 40 and so that was one of the things in my own brain that I was like, I want to start a new decade differently. Yeah. 
And I want this decade, I want my 40s to be a different era of work. And so that book came out within probably three or four months of turning 40. So I really wanted to start the new decade with a new era of work. And that's what it was. I didn't realize that that was going to happen. It's funny how how things get set up and how you're set up for the next step without even really knowing it. But now at 40, I have my first book. I, I wanted to, yeah, I told Corey, um, who was such a blessing through the whole process. I told her, I was like, I want to do another one. And I think she kind of laughed because it like the first one was hard for me. I, I also want to be honest about that. I've been writing my entire life and writing that first book was hard because it, it's an emotional process and you do have to rearrange your schedule a little bit to make time for it, which was one of the things, one of the other lessons I learned was how do you bring this whole new project into your life and make time for it? Yeah. And I think that to your point though, from the beginning of the episode is try following this new path and you did it. You took your own advice. So, and here we are. So, yeah, that is true. Yes. I feel like, um, I feel like that's the thing. It's like, you just, you keep, you keep moving forward and you see what happens. And that, that ends up being a, a major theme in the book. And my call to action for people today is to, start paying attention and watch how your world is unfolding and watch the lessons that are coming into your life or your work, whether it's personal or professional and watch them unfold and, and pay attention to what you're learning from them. Cause I think we're hit with lessons all the time and a lot of people let them fly over their heads and there are great opportunities. You don't have to go to grad school. If you do, wonderful. I've done it. But there are also these really great micro lessons in the everyday, if you're paying attention. Do you keep a journal at all where you write all these things down or that you could reference? Uh, No. So I'm not a journaler, which is interesting. You you would think that I was. Um, I'm not a big journaler, pen to paper journaler. But what I am is I will... I have a running note in my phone. Okay. So if I have like an aha moment or I hear a good quote, I'll jot it as a note in my phone. So I have this whole like scrolling list of things that I've heard, like little, like they end up being almost like virtual scraps of paper. You know how you're like, I got to save this on a napkin or I have to save this on a piece of paper. Um, I will sometimes do that if I'm in a meeting or if I'm on a call and I hear something really great. But for the most part, I try to save them in my phone so that I've got this this running tally of aha moments. Um, okay, yeah, I, I was just thinking for listeners of like, how could they start to do this? How Where could they jot this down? Um, yeah, I, I love the probably, idea of the phone because then you yeah, always have it. You always have it. I feel like there's always a note. Um, you know, you should have a note function, whatever kind of phone you have. And so I think that's an easy way to just tap out something that you've heard. Um, I, it's funny, I am a big paper person when it comes to taking notes during meetings. Like I don't take notes via an app or I'm like a pen to paper. So there are some times where I do hear something and I'll just scribble it. 
And then I, I mean, I have stacks of notebooks. So now I'm like, I have to spend like <laughs> months going through to try to find where I might've written something down. Yeah. So it's I think a whole nother you, project in itself. It's a whole, it's a yeah. whole other thing. But I think if you have a note in your phone, you know, it's always there yeah. and it will move with you and your devices as you upgrade, which I appreciate that it's, it's just like a running tally of that. Yeah. I've been doing that now. I have a book journal and, but it sits where I read in the morning. And so unless I'm by the book journal, I'm not really transferring quotes into there. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks as well, but I've started a note tab on my phone where I like will save favorite quotes from the books. And that seems to be more um, my mode of, and then it'll help me remember the book too. When I go back and I'll like see, oh, okay, that was from that book. Mm -hmm. And I'll, re I'll recall the story. And I've really enjoyed that. And I think, like I said, the note app on my phone seems to be way more accessible because I'm not always sitting on the couch by my like morning reading spot. So <laughs> the thing about, which I will say to your listeners, if you do use the note on your phone, make sure that you and this has happened to me a couple of times, make sure that you take a second to make a note to yourself as to the context, because there are some times that I've put a quote in sure. very quickly and I'm like, oh, that was great. And I tap it out really quickly and move on. And then I find it like three months later and I'm like, who said that? Did I say, did somebody else, who did I hear say yeah. that? Or what was the situation? Um, normally with a notebook, when we do that, or if we've taken a note in a book, we have the context. But if I've tapped it out on my phone and I haven't put the context, it takes me a little time to just remember who said it, what the circumstance was. So I'd probably say, just make a note to yourself to include some notes as to who said it, how you heard it, you know, those kinds of general notes. Yeah, that recall information. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, have you still been writing at this point? Yes. So that's one thing that I, I feel like I came out of the writing project so warm that, and this is another thing that I've learned is that writing is a sport. I, I don't know that we talk about that as much as we should, but writing is a sport. We like, we warm up to it. We are, I feel like we need to talk about it more as something that we're, you know, trained to do. We are in training. I think there have been times in my life where I haven't been writing. And so when I do go back to write, it's like real clunky. It's like the first workout after you haven't worked out in a while, yeah. you're like, it's just sloppy and clunky and you just feel slow. And I think what I've learned is that because I've been warm over the last couple of months from working on the book, I need to keep that momentum and that energy. So since finishing it, I have either been writing, I've, I've stepped in to write more client projects. I've been writing for myself more. I've been putting pieces on LinkedIn just to keep the muscle warm. Because I think what happens is that oh, you write a book, I'm going to take a break. Mm -hmm. And I think that's much like working out or, or sports or athletics. You take a break and the muscles get cold. And so how do I, now that the muscles warm again, how do I, how do I keep that consistent? And how do I keep the practice of writing consistent? Well, and I think even with brain science, right, they talk about that as like those pathways to the brain and you can create those. And it's, 
to your point of like thinking of it as a muscle, if you keep that pathway active and open and you're continuing to flex that muscle on the regular, those pathways are going to continue to form and stay active versus mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go on to other things. Then you got to go back and like really get them going again. Right. And I compare it oftentimes to, and I'm from a generation that like, we learned how to handwrite. I don't think, I don't know if kids are learning handwriting these days as much, but we would do a lot of handwriting in school and then we'd be, we'd be gone for the summer and yeah. then you'd come back to school in August or September and you'd be picking up a, a marker or a pen or a pencil and you'd be like, I have not written in a while, like pen to paper. And so I think it's the same way. Like if you take a break and you think you're taking a break to recharge and I think that's fair, but just think about then what it's like if you do need to write something, um, like what, what's it going to feel like when you do like the blank page with the blinking cursor is going to be a lot harder when you have not had that muscle warm. So just think about that. Okay. That's great advice. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about who you are as a reader and yeah. what type of genres you enjoy reading. Um, that's such a good question. I will say, um, as a reader today, I bounce between, um, this sounds silly, but I say that I bounce between nonfiction and fiction quite frequently um, because I tend to like, I, I love, I love business and leadership books. Yeah. I am, oh, I, I'm a lifelong learner. I feel like I'm always like, how do I get how do I become a better leader? How, how do I get my company running more efficiently? I'm always seeking new business advice. So I feel like I'm always looking for inspiration and advice and living in that genre of business books, leadership, probably like personal development or self-help books. I find that though, when I'm in that place, it's like, I'm thinking about myself a lot. Sure. You know, you're just like in, you're just dissecting a lot or you're overthinking. And so oftentimes when I feel like, Ooh, I'm, I'm thinking too much about logistics or I'm thinking too much about the business. It's in those places where I'll do a flip and I'll switch to something fiction because I know in my own brain imagination and curiosity and creativity is a, is a really important part of my personality. Yeah. And I know when I feel like I'm getting too pigeonholed in the business book section, I need to do a 180 and flip over to fiction and something fun, something um, that takes me into a different world. Cause I think that. That, I mean, ironically, it probably makes me a better business thinker, business owner, but at the same time too, I'm not really thinking about that. I think I'm just tapping into a world that I've known since I was a kid, which I I was always a reader as well. So I think there's a part of me very, on a very primal level that like wants to read about different characters in a different world and just go off. Yeah. So sure. I'll often flip. So I'll listen maybe to a leadership book or a business book and then read a fiction book. 
or vice versa. Cause I do, I, as a reader, I listen to audiobooks and then I actually, I do love paper books as well. So, um, I'm, oh, I always have something going, Kara. It's like yeah. between the audiobook or the paper book, like there's always something in progress. I'm thinking of it as like a palate cleanser for you, right? Like, okay, I need yes. to hit the reset button and dive into this world. And I think so often as readers or as people in general, we look for that escape, right? Whether that's in movies or television or through a book, right? We want to escape sometimes of our reality or shut the news off, right? Alone. Sometimes it's just to escape into a world that's fantastical and it doesn't have to be fantasy, but to walk in someone else's shoes and get an enjoyable story. Yeah. And I found too, um, when I do, when I do flip over to, to fiction, I tap back into that feeling of like, I can't wait to finish this. Yeah. Like I, as I remember this as a kid, like staying up late to finish a book or being like one more chapter, one more chapter. Um, and I, I very rarely feel that way about a business or a leadership book. Yeah. <laughs> um, that does not come often, but it does. It always comes with fiction is I'm always like hungry to get to the end to figure out what happens. And I think that's such an amazing feeling as an adult to have that magic again as a reader. Yeah. And I'm thinking I've never thought about it this way, but when you're reading personal development or these business leadership books, you're reading them to your point to dissect them and to really take a moment to go back, look at how you're running your business or how you are living your life at that moment. And so it's not meant to be like hurry to the end because you really need to take the time to see how this might apply to your life. And so I think right. it's just two different modes of reading. Yeah. Cause when you're reading business, um, or leadership or self-development, it's like, I have to do something with this information now. Like it, it's a two-step process. I read it and then I put it into action with fiction. It's like, I'm just here to read it. Yeah. Like I'm here to be in the moment. And I think that's what's so wonderful about it is that it doesn't ask anything of you. It just asks you to be in the book in that moment. Yeah. I, we've kind of gotten away from it, but I have two friends that we had a book club and we met living in Sicily and we have since now all moved, but right. We kept our communication going. And one of our ways we would have this communication going is we had a book club, but they were really into reading the personal development type books. And that was such a great way to read those books because it really forced you to then have a conversation about how you might apply this to your life. So it was even more of an additional step. I would say like a 2.5 step to reading it, thinking about how it applies to your life, but then also talking about it. So having digested it enough to be able to talk about it too. And that was such a wonderful way to read those types of books. Yeah. I mean, you had built in accountability partners too. Yeah. To, to support whatever it is you had figured out about those books for yourself or your business or, you know, whatever it was you had built in, you had a built in support system and community, which is also really helpful. Yeah. And I was saying, everybody's showing up to the book differently too, of their own life experiences. So to hear what, how they might be applying it to life, they're like, oh, mm -hmm. that's a really great idea. I could try that too. And so even just forming those new ideas from talking about it amongst a group was really great. Yeah, that's, I think that's such a great point because I don't think books are meant to be 
lived in a vacuum the same ways I don't think writing can be done in a vacuum. I don't think books can be either. So I think the more we can talk about them, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then in your busyness, how do you find time to read? Oh my gosh. Well, I, so my, um, it's hard. I will say that. I will also say my relationship with reading shifted during the pandemic. I did not read a lot, which felt so, um, I look back on it now and I'm like, why was I not reading during that time? And I think because there were so many things on my mind at that time that I really couldn't read. I had the same exact thing. I I really, I had actually pre-pandemic, right before the pandemic, I started the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Ironically, it took me probably a year to finish that book because I would read a page or two and be like, I'm done. Like I just, not because of anything she wrote or the style, but it was more just where my head was. So I had to retrain myself post pandemic, um, again, kind of like writing where I would start to read again and a couple of pages, a couple of more pages. And it was actually during that season of coming back to to reading that I discovered audiobooks. Oh, yeah. Um and really as a way just to get back to listening and reading in a different way because I felt so disconnected from this hobby that I've loved my entire life and I needed to find a way back in. So it was through kind of page by page, but then also audiobooks got me back into the groove, which is why to this day, I will always have an audiobook going. And I listen a lot. Like if I'm just kind of around my house, just, you know, picking things up, that kind of thing. But then also walking the dog. Um, I will listen. And when I walk Winnie, I will listen to a lot of books as well. And I tell myself, I'm like, just 10 or 15 minutes. And it always ends up being more, um, but I will do it then. And then I will also pick up paper books a lot in the morning um, as kind of a morning practice, just a couple of pages um, that has become important to me as well. Yeah. I have found that my house is infinitely cleaner. Thanks to audiobooks. Audiobooks. (laughs) It's like, what can I go clean? What else can I do? I really want to know what's happening. Because I will, I will switch between fiction and nonfiction as audiobooks, and if it's a fiction story I'm really into, I'm like, okay, what else can I go do? Do the baseboards need cleaning? Like what? Right. What needs to be done? Um, so thank you, audiobooks for. I didn't realize for some reason for a while I thought audiobooks were it was like cheating. It's like it's not you're not really reading it because I mean I never I still don't have a Kindle. I always felt like I wanted to see the progress through a book. Like I wanted to see my bookmark move um, because I really liked the progress of working through a book. And so for me, going through an audio book was like, well, is it, is that considered reading? I don't know. And I'm spending time with it. That's what I think. It is. And that's what I, I ultimately came to was this understanding that yes, it is, it is reading because I am in this work that somebody has produced and I am spending time and energy in it. Um, I just don't see the bookmark move. I know. That's why I don't like the Kindle. Actually. I love audiobooks because of the accessibility and what I can do while I'm reading. 
but I have a Kindle I've gotten since I've started the show because people will send me copies of their books and it'll be yes. in a e-format. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I have to get something to read these on because the iPad's too distracting. Yeah. But I don't love it for that reason, just because it'll be like location 1472. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? That's not a page number. And yeah. so I feel it's like I can't, even though like in the audiobooks, at least I'll say like, oh, I'm 22% of the way through the book. I mean, that's a little yeah. bit of a progress check, but the Kindle really just throws me for a loop. I know. I know. Yeah. It's, um, I have not gotten to that point. I haven't gotten to the Kindle point yet, but I have reconciled the audiobooks. I do like being, I do like progress. Like I do like to be able to see the progress through the audiobook, just like with the regular book. So yeah. I can appreciate that. Yes. And you have been so gracious to prepare a book flight for us today. So can you tell us a little bit about how your books pair together? Um, yes. So I actually, um, I think the books I picked today are all books that have a little bit of magic to them. And I don't use that word. I don't use the word magic a lot. I just feel like these three are very snackable books that get you thinking differently. Okay. And um, that's one of the things that I love about reading and writing, obviously, is that I always come out of both experiences with aha moments. And so I think these are really good examples of very digestible books that you will absolutely leave with an aha moment. I love that. And it doesn't sound like they're going to take a lot of space, rental space up in your head either when you're reading. No, them. no, they're actually they're They can all be players choice, right? So um, you can make of them what you will. You can take deep, um, deep and wide lessons from them, or you can just read them and, and pick out a couple of things. It is it's they're all three of them are players choice for sure. Okay. All right. Well, what's the first book of the pairing then today? The first book is This is Water by David Foster Wallace. Okay. I haven't heard of this one. I'm intrigued. Oh my gosh. You would love it. So I have a personal connection to this book. This book, David Foster Wallace is a very celebrated nonfiction writer. Um, he delivered This is Water as the commencement address at my college graduation. I graduated from, from Kenyon College in 2005 this graduate this was originally his commencement address to our graduating class it was so popular that they ended up turning it into a short book and i so included cool. it's it's a really cool it's a very fast read if you can imagine it as a commencement address you know i think it would take a, a reader maybe you know 20 30 minutes to read okay um but i think you know when i heard the the connection with this one obviously is the first time I heard it I was you know 20 years old 21 years old I guess and it's a really great example of um hearing something at one point in your life and coming back to that over the last 20 years I've come back to that probably I mean at least once a year I will read that piece and I say that because I'm not a big re like I'm not a rereader. Sure. I oftentimes will read something and like move on. But this is really the one piece, uh, the one book that I go back to consistently because every time I read it, I I see my 
same familiar lines that I like, but I always see something new. Yeah. And I always see something new based on the fact that I'm a different person this year or this day than I was the last time I read it. So I think it's a really, it's a very snackable piece. Again, it's a really good piece that you can take deep and wide, or you can just read on the surface and be very content. I, I just always get a lot of good nuggets from it. Um, And I think uh, David Foster Wallace has since passed away. And so I have a deeper appreciation for it since his passing, because I feel like it was such a love letter to our graduation class that then became something that was shared with the entire world. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think that those are the books that stand the test of time, right, is that you can come back to them time and time again, and you're still gleaning lessons Mm -hmm. from them or little nuggets. And it's been that book in particular has been this very interesting currency because I will say that, you know, oh, have you read This Is Water? Or sometimes I'll I'll see somebody post, especially on LinkedIn, they'll post a quote from This Is Water. And I'm like, that was my graduation speech. And it, it becomes this weird currency that that is shared among our graduating class for sure, but now with a lot of readers. Yeah. Um And so it's always fun to be able to tell people like, I heard it. I heard it originally. I heard it live. (laughs) Heard it here first. first. (laughs) I heard it here first. Yeah. Um, Because we didn't really know it was going to be a big deal. And then afterwards, it was like, that was good. And then since then, as an adult, I've been like, that was really good. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So this is that was This is Water by David Foster Wallace. And then what's yes. the second book of our pairing today? Second book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Um, I just, I, I know I just said I wasn't our big rereader, but this, so obviously I read this book as a kid. Sure. We, my sister and I loved the, like, we had like a PBS video series of of uh, Chronicles of Narnia and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe specifically. And I reread this book as an adult. And I, there's just a magic to it that you read as a child, but then you read it as an adult and you just pick up so many different things. And you just, there's a sense of wonder that at the time I reread it, I was like, I haven't thought about this in a while. And I haven't really thought about some of these themes and relationships and what things mean. Um, you just have such a different interpretation of those as an adult versus when you when I read it as a kid. And so I think I, I included this in my flight because I think it's a call to whatever that book was for you as a kid. I would challenge you to go back and reread it. Because your understanding now as an adult reader is going to be so different than when you were a kid. And I think whatever, like I said, whatever that book was for you, I I would challenge you to go find it and uh, experience it again. And this is what I tell my friends that that have children of like this comes to mind of like the pinnacle of children's literature. Like this should be when you're reading aloud to your kids, choose books that you enjoy, too. And this book has so much depth to it that there is something for the child and there is something for the adult. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think today that looks like Harry Potter. Yeah. And I think like I have friends who have kids and they read Harry Potter and I'm like, I think that's great. And I would challenge you to introduce your kids to whatever you read as a kid. Yeah. And yeah. and bring it back. Um, because you're right, like there are so many adult lessons in so many of the children's books that we read. And I think for me, rereading Line the Witch and the Warrior was like, yeah, when was the last time? you looked in the back of the closet and it was like an entirely different world. Like you don't think about those, those moments. Um, and I think it's just the imagination in that book is like, it just takes you to a different world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important for our kids to see too. Yeah. We just watched the movie actually over Christmas, Christmas break. And they do such a good job with the movie as well, mm -hmm. where I don't always feel like movies are as good as the book, but they did a really great job with that. They did. And I think what's interesting, I'm always curious if people read the book or watch the movie or both, um, because I think it's really special when there are really great examples of movies. Um where then you can reference the book and you can say, you can go back and be like, it's actually very similar. You should read that. Yeah. Um, it's always, it bothers me when a movie comes out and you're like, this wasn't anything like the book or the, or you say like the book is, I mean, it's great when you say the book is so much better, but I think just having the ability to compare the two yeah. is really special. Yeah. It's a fun thing to do as well. And I don't, I don't watch a ton of movies just from lack of time and wanting yeah. to dive into a book in the evening. Um, but if someone would be like, oh, no, it was a really good rendition of a book I have read, I, I will take the time to watch it. Yeah. Um, well, I would definitely put Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe back into the book rotation if you're a parent. Yes. Well, thank you so much for that one. And then lastly, what is the third book of the pairing? The third book is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And I include, this is my nod to business slash leadership slash personal development books. This is actually the last book, last leadership book I read. Okay. And I included this one um, because it, he has a conversation in this book about time and re like reorienting and re- um, I don't want to say renegotiating, but I think that's a fairer word, renegotiating your relationship with time. And I used this example, or I'm, I'm including this in my flight, because one of the things I came to realize is that for a while now, I've been telling myself that I don't have time for things. Sure. And this comes up a lot with reading and writing. Like, I don't have time to write that. I don't have time to read that book right now. And what he does in that book, among other lessons, obviously, is this trying to get you to understand that you do have enough time. It's just where you're spending it. Yeah. And I've started to really reevaluate that and reorient my relationship with time to actually be able to do the things that I want to do, but also like eliminating the stuff that I've been saying that, you know, I don't have time for or in really kind of trying to navigate like what am I spending my time on so that I can eliminate the stuff that I don't want to do to be able to do the stuff I do want to do. So I think he he brings up a conversation that it made me really um, evaluate how often I say to myself, I don't have time for that. And so I think that was my biggest takeaway. 
And I think it's so important almost to do that assessment of yourself, right? And where you mm -hmm. are spending your time and whether you do that twice a year or once a year at the start of the new year, right? I mean, I think that is such a good lesson and assessment that you have to keep doing because of course you're going to get mired in other tasks down the road that, okay, this isn't serving me anymore. So I need to let that go. And it is such an important question to ask yourself on the regular. Yeah. And I think what that looks like, and I, this comes up a lot and it comes up for me too, is like, oh, I don't have time for that. But then I just spent 20 minutes on social media, Yeah, you know, when that 20 minutes could have been used somewhere else. So I think a lot of times I feel like I'm racing a clock that I've created for myself. And I'm like, it's, it's actually not there. Like I get to reorient my time and I get to control my time more than I realize. And there were, there was a section in there. There's a chapter in there on time that he made me realize that I was like, I need to reevaluate my relationship with the phrase. I don't have time for this. Yeah. Well, you've inspired me today because I have that book sitting on my shelf upstairs in my bedroom and I haven't read it yet. So like this so, might be, you know, time. I, so I have the exact same. I bought Kara, I bought that book years ago. I want to say probably five years ago. Somebody told me about it and I ordered it on Amazon. It, you know, came within a day and it sat for five years. Yeah. And somebody else, this is the other thing too, is that I will take pings from the universe. So if um, somebody mentions a book to me, I'm like, okay, normally then it'll come up again. And I'm like, if it comes up three times, I have to read it. And it came up twice in the last six months. Okay. And I was like, that's the third time. And so I pulled it off the shelf and I read it and it was a game changer. Yeah. Okay. So that was The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. How I love to end our show here is with our bonus pairing. So these are just a speed round of questions. Oh, okay. And you've answered a couple of them already. So we're going to shorten it up. But what is one book you've read that has changed your life? You know, what's a really good book? It's actually a thick book, um, which is very counter to what I like to read. But I really loved the book, The Seven Story Mountain by okay. Thomas Merton. It's a faith book. But what's so interesting to me is that he chronicles his journey with faith and he made it really okay to question your faith. Okay. And I really appreciated that. Obviously he comes around to it and he, I forget exactly where he fell in the order of the Catholic church. Um, and I'm not going to get it right, but um he really makes, he made it okay to question these things that we've never questioned before. And I appreciated that. Like it's, it's a whole book of his journey and I, it made it really okay to start asking questions. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really intriguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I came away at faith, obviously faith and church is an important part of my life. And I came away from it and I was like, that was such a cool approach. Yeah. Like, to be able to tell the story of his faith journey. Um, so that was a big one for me. Okay. I like that. And then where is your favorite place to read? Oh, um, I love to read at home in bed with a cup of coffee in okay. the morning. Love that. And then lastly, what are you reading next? So the audiobook that, um, I am reading right now is called the, it's actually a, a business book, the 12 week year. Okay. 
I just started that as an audiobook. Um, and then the book, actually, the physical book on my um, nightstand right now is a book called Art and Faith. Okay. And I think, I mean, obviously in nonfiction as well. I had heard a lecture and somebody referenced it in a lecture a number of months ago. And so that is next on the docket, like as a physical paper book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know your time is precious and I appreciate all you've given me. Kara, this has been so great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Meg Seitz and her magic to make you think differently book flight. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time. Thank you.